Welcome to University Radio York. Thank you for joining us. I'm joined with Scott Bradley, the absolute brain box behind Postmodern Jukebox. Whereabouts in the world are you calling from, Scott? So I'm actually uh, in Nashville, Tennessee right now. I was overseas, over across the pond, as you say. We did our rehearsals in London, so we did about a week of rehearsing, putting together the new show, and tweaking all the material, and getting the cast all ready to go. So I just returned, and a little jet-lagged, but, you know, it's okay. <laughs> Kicking this off, I'm going to start by being extremely annoying and essentially asking you to pick a favourite child. But if you had to think of one postman jukebox project or cover that you are just immensely proud of, something that really sticks out as something you just love, what would you do? Oh, geez, that's a tough one. Yeah, <laughs> favorite child thing is right. That's the perfect analogy. <laughs> God, start that's, off strong. Uh, right, is there something like a recency bias? Of your more recent videos, they, they tend to be the favorite children, I guess you would say. Yeah, I, I think that the most recent one that we've done that I've been pretty excited about was uh, we took a song, I Kiss, I Was Made For Loving You. Mm -hmm. And uh, we got this amazing singer, Effie Passero, who was on our the current tour over here in Europe. And she just blew this one out of the water. And this was like one of the more challenging arrangements. You know, we had strings, we had kind of did like an Enio more Capone kind of spaghetti Western kind of vibe to it. But this was one that we put a lot of, a lot of work into. So I, I guess you always kind of, you know, have a, a soft spot for the ones that you put the most effort into, as opposed to the ones that just kind of go massively viral mm. right out of the gate or something like that. So I'd say that this is the one that I've been really excited about lately, but but again, you're right. They're all they're all different children. So you know, you you kind of love your children equally. I can imagine. I know for me, my personal favorite would definitely be. It's quite an old one. It's the Sweet Child of Mine cover with uh, Mickey Braden. Oh yeah, that well, you know what? Just that's stunning. That's one of the ones that I always point to. Is um, you know, when I want to show somebody uh, kind of the concept behind Postmodern Jukebox, I use that one all the time. It's and, just um, yeah, I, that was an, it works an early so surprisingly one, but it, it well. All the marks. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, I mean, I think that that was one where it really did what we wanted it to do. We had, first of all, we had Mickey Brayden, who's just an absolute incredible. legend. I mean, her voice is incredible. She has that authenticity. I mean, she knows the style so well that when you listen to her sing that song, you really forget that it's a Guns N' Roses song. You really think that it might be a Bessie Smith song back in the day. Speaking of Guns N' Roses, when we look at Postman Jukebox, you cover everything from modern pop songs, things that have just been released, to classics that, you know, everyone knows and loves. But do you approach that differently? Do you approach a modern pop song that's just come out differently to a song that everyone knows that's very popular, everyone knows the words, or do you go into every sort of project with the same mindset of this is how we do it? Yeah, I'd say probably the same mindset for everything. The, the idea being that I'm trying to draw parallels between whatever the, the song is, you know, the, the original version of the song, and how it would sound in, you know, some other era, and what kind of song it would be, and what era would that be from. So the Sweet Child of Mine example wound up going in this kind of 1920s blues route, because just looking at the lyrics of the song, if you... You strip away all the guitars and the production and Axl Rose and everything, and you just look at the lyrics and the form of the song, it really just looks like an old blues song. Like mm -hmm. it almost has like a blues folk quality to it. I, I, I try to do that with every song that we do. You know, you look at what the song is about, what kind of song is it, uh, what's the subject matter. I mean, you check if there's anything in the production that might give a hint to an earlier era or something like that. You know, I'm always just kind of searching these original versions of the songs for something, just a kernel of something that might be evocative of a different era. Do you have a singer in mind when you uh, arrange these? Do you know exactly who you want to give this song to or does that come later? 
Uh, sometimes, sometimes a singer that we're working with, we might, you know, I might just meet with them and ask them for some of their ideas of what songs do they really like. And uh, this one that we did, the I Was Made For Loving You, it was a song that wasn't on my radar. I, I didn't really, you know, I didn't know the song that well. But Effie Becero, uh, she was like, you should check out this song. Like, I think that this would be so cool to do a version of. And, and I did it. You know what? You're right. <laughs> this could be really cool. So everything is art. It, there's no real science to this. It's hard to make a rule book of what exactly the process is. And you really have to, I've learned that you have to be pretty flexible and you have to allow inspiration to come from all different sources. And you have to be willing to kind of throw away the rule book of what has worked for you in the past mm. in order to find something that's going to work in the future. Has anything ever not worked? Have you had any projects that you've had to step away from? Oh, yeah. All the time. All <laughs> the time. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll start, you know, I'll start messing around an arrangement of something and then either I, it won't click for some reason, it's just not working. It's not clicking. It's not sounding right. Or I might have an arrangement ready to go and we get into the studio and it just doesn't feel right. It's like missing something. And you have to be willing at that point to just kind of scrap it all, start over. That must be tough. Yeah. That's a lot of work it's, to just step away from. Oh, yeah. It's like, um, <laughs> but, you know, there's the sunk cost, right? They say there's like a sunk cost fallacy, right? <laughs> and that's basically means when you put a lot of effort into something, you get even more determined to kind of make it work. And you might force yourself to, um, you know, see it through rather than do what is actually the right path, which would be abandon it completely, start again, start fresh. The creative process is a frustrating one, <laughs> I guess you could say. And when you move these songs onto stage and onto tour, because we're definitely going to talk about the tour that was going on at the minute, are there any changes that take place? Because I know one that I think of all the time is the cover of Halo. There's cover on the YouTube channel. Oh, yeah. It's much more upbeat on the YouTube channel, but on stage it's slowed down. It's a lot more piano-based, a lot more melodic. Is there reasons behind that? Absolutely. Or is it just... So, yeah, um, a lot of them will kind of adapt for tour. And sometimes it is just a, a result of having done it again and again on stage and finding what works. And I think actually Levance had the idea of starting that one with just piano. And um, mm -hmm. at the time uh, in the show, the, the context of the show, it worked perfectly because we didn't really have any moments in the show that were just kind of stripped down and bare like that. So that gives us a chance to have just this moment where it's just piano and voice. Mm, and a nice breather after the all the... Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, when you're, when you're crafting a show, you're not really... It, it's, it's different than making a video, right? Because you kind of have to think of the context of the whole show. You can't have every song be upbeat. You can't have every song be a ballad. You know, you want to tell a story. You want to have a general art to the show. That means that sometimes we'll take some of these hits and we'll have to adapt them to fit the format of the show. Speaking of the show, say you're on tour, they've got the Life in the Past Lane tour. Who comes up with these yeah, names? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Who comes up with the album Jeez. names as well? I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 I gotta take responsibility for a few Brilliant. of those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I've seen Post on Jukebox maybe four times live now. I've seen last time I saw oh, wow. it was in okay. Sheffield. And for anyone who is thinking of seeing Postmodern Jukebox who hasn't yet, explain to them what to expect because it's not your typical concert. No, no, <laughs> it's really, uh, it's kind of returned to the variety show format. It was really popular back in the day. You think of like Ed Sullivan or American Bandstand or even Lawrence Welk, right? We've kind of updated it. We've, we've turned it this, into this kind of crazy uh, hybrid of a showcase of talent, basically, you know, just these phenomenally talented singers, tap dancers, musicians, and also uh, kind of a musical review of all the eras. So we have 
everything from like 1920s jazz to Motown, big band and swing, country western. And, and kind of the bonus part of all this is that you're going to know the songs that we're covering because they're the biggest mm-hmm. songs of the last 30 something odd years. So it's really a show, I think, that you know every generation can come to and take away something different from it. Mm-hmm. Whether you're a fan of this classic music, whether you're a fan of these new songs and want to hear them presented in a new light, or if you're just a fan of incredible talent. Definitely. I know when I went, everyone is there. Every single generation is there and they're all having an absolute blast. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of taken on a life of its own. I love that people come to our shows dressed up, dressed up in vintage clothing from all eras. I I thought that was so cool. That wasn't even something we came up with. That was just the audience started doing that. (laughs) And I have to ask, um, last time I saw you guys live, um, it was Ariana Savalas hosting and she pulled people from the crowd and got them on stage. Was that her idea? Something? Yeah, that's yeah. Ariana. That's, <laughs> she was an Ariana, incredible host. Ariana is amazing. And she's just got this comedic timing that is she's just so uh, amazing. It's astounding <laughs> how good she is. And she's a character too. So she's she's a lot of fun to have mm-hmm. on tour. Can we expect anything new in this tour? Anything that's been added to the show? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've actually updated with a bunch of new songs that we've never performed live before, except on this tour. So there's a bunch of new material. You know, they're from videos, but we haven't put them on stage yet. So uh, it was funny. I actually got to see one of the early shows on this tour, and uh, it was fun to watch the audience reaction to some of these newer newer songs. And, you know, it's a good feeling when you see it and you're like, oh, it worked. People really love this. So, yeah, we're excited. And that's always great for the cast too. You know, they always love to have new things to do and mm. new challenges. And you get to see them in real time, figuring out the best way to approach each one of these songs. And yeah, that, it's pretty special. Are there any shows that stand out in your mind that you've played at that have been incredible or something unexpected happened? Really? Oh, wow. Yeah, so many of them. I mean, I always think back to our first tour just because at that point I would see numbers and I would see the view counts and all that stuff. And I knew that people watched these videos, but I really hadn't met people in real life that were postmodern jukebox fans. And it was the first tour where that really cemented in my mind, wow, this is something, you know, this is something that has legs to it. And I remember even, you know, the first time we, we did in UK, I hadn't, I'd never been overseas at that point. I hadn't left the country at that point. And, and going over there for the first time and having all these fans like lined up by the venues, dressed up, getting ready to, the, to see our show, uh, that was a really surreal feeling. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, this must be your first tour post-pandemic. I think with the first one we did was U.S. in 2021. So no, actually, we, we did Europe last year in okay. 2022. So um, the second one. Second one. But the pandemic obviously put a spanner in the works for every touring musician, every gigging musician. I read your book, your incredible book, um, Outside the Jukebox, and there's a quote in it that really stood out to me that was, the best time to record is right now. Did the pandemic affect that in any way? We speak to musicians quite a lot, and some found their creativity really stifled, others flourished with all this sudden free time. Yeah, absolutely. It was very disruptive to to everything, right? Mm-hmm. All for all touring, all tours stopped, and it was something I think uh, I'd say very few people that are alive today remember such a time. I think mm-hmm. the last world pandemic to that level was right like in the early 1900s. So there was really no playbook, uh, especially for musicians that are you know used to performing in intimate settings for lots of people and things like that. So I, yeah, I mean. Uh, we didn't really do too many videos during that time, uh, just because we needed to get people together in one room to film them. Mm. You know, that was kind of our way of doing it. So, you know, we just had to kind of sit tight and wait for there to be the right time to get people together again. And uh, the same with touring. You know, certainly touring uh, 
in 2021, I mean, it was definitely challenging. You know, we had to run bubble tour to to ensure that everybody remained, you know, COVID free and stuff. Mm-hmm. So there were challenges that I think that every musician and every artist and every performer have had to face um, during that time. But it does make it all the more sweeter to come back on tour mm-hmm. and to be able to do this again. Yeah, you just see just seeing the audience and how how happy they are to be able to hear live music again and experience a night together with their friends and family. That means the world to us. Has there been any um, location you can't wait to return to? Anywhere that really stands out? There's always something special about London because it's it's been our biggest city. Of all the cities in the world, even more so than America, I think we've really? done London. the biggest shows in London. That's always really exciting. People get really excited for that show, our, our cast especially. But there's so many great places. I, you know, every town is different. Every country is different. Yeah, I, I'd say that touring is the best way to kind of see the world in a, a very short amount of time it's kind mm-hmm. of like a like a it's like a sample pack right mm-hmm. it's like one of those you know where they give you like the little tasters of like whiskey or something like mm-hmm. that it's like you just get to see a little bit of each town and of course you know when even when the tour's done back to youtube where this whole thing started back in maybe like 2015 2016 when pmj was a lot younger if you type in jazz covers or funk covers you guys would you know be pioneering now when you search it there are jazz covers and funk covers of songs everywhere that must be cool to see Absolutely. Uh, it's been crazy uh, for us to just know that there are people that grew up with Postmodern Jukebox, including some of the singers that we work with today. We just recently did a video with a, a really talented singer who actually told us that she was like, yeah, I used to listen to you guys when I was growing up. It was really inspiring. <laughs> you know, I didn't I didn't know that you could take these pop songs and make them into jazz before. And now she's she's on her way to having a career as a jazz singer. So, uh, yeah, stories like that are always so cool. And of course, do you think this sort of music will ever return to the mainstream? Or do you think that it's nice having this sort of little retro package? Do you think we can see jazz or swing making a return anytime soon? I'd say that it it always has an influence on the mainstream. Definitely. I guess, you know, I I feel like something like jazz uh, is, is more of a genre that you can apply to things. It's something you can do to music rather than then expect it to just suddenly become mainstream again mm. in the way that it had been, say, in the 1930s or 1940s or something like that. So I think that it's going to always be something that's kind of informs uh, modern songwriters and producers and vocalists and things like that. And, and, and really, you know, at the heart of jazz is improvisation, you know, spontaneity. Mm. And you, you see improvisation everywhere, even outside of music. Yeah, jazz is always going to have a huge influence on, on music, even if it's not doing a full revival like it did. I, I remember there was a time right in the 90s, there was like a swing revival. And I think it lasted like six months. It was a really brief movie. Swingers came out. I don't know if, if uh, that might be before your time. <laughs> but, but it was everywhere. And everybody was like, whoa, you know, jazz and big band is back. And then it only lasted about like three to six months. So, you know, I don't put too much stock in outright revivals of stuff. But I think it's more interesting to see how these, you know, classic genres can inspire new creations. Definitely. And I, I for one, am definitely looking forward to see what Post One Jukebox is next. I can't wait. And you're coming to York soon, aren't you? Yeah, we're playing. I don't have the date in front of me, but we are. We are coming to town. Yeah, we are so excited. We yeah, we hope to see everybody there. And uh, it's a really fantastic cast in this one. I, I think people are going to be really blown away musically by the performance we have in this show. I wish you the best of luck with your tour. Thank you so much for speaking to us today. Great. Thank you, Ellie. It was great to thank talk you. to you. Lovely to talk to you too. Thank you very much.